0: The UN and international organizations, I found out that, there, that the UN women in Singapore actually had a national committee. And so um, I remember my mother laughing at me when I did this, but I, I remember phone calling them mm-hmm. and asking them if there was a general email, and I think I was like 14 at the time. It was like, are you looking for volunteers? How can I engage? And it was a super eager message. Um, then I emailed them and I was pretty persistent, like I didn't get a response immediately. And so I was kind of like... A...
1: Welcome to the Grow Beyond podcast, a podcast devoted to international working experience. At Grow Beyond, we facilitate global career starts and help people to grow beyond their comfort zone. In this podcast, we interview young people that have built an international career on the steps they took, the challenges they faced and the lessons they've learned. They share tips and tricks and insights on their industries and countries they're working in. We are showcasing international opportunities and highlight how finding work abroad might advance a career faster than staying in your comfort zone. Let's get ready to grow. You're listening to the Grow Beyond Podcast Episode 2. Welcome. I'm so excited because today we're talking to Shamista Shivaramakrishnan, Krishnan, who is a real go-getter. She is the Youth Ambassador for the World Summit Awards and the UN Youth Representative for Caring for Cambodia. She's a Singaporean citizen, but she was raised and educated across the Middle East, Europe, Southeast Asia, and North America. By now, in total, she has lived, studied, and worked in nine different countries. She's currently studying for her master's degree in development studies at the Graduate Institute for International Development Studies in Geneva. And she has pursued numerous professional experiences in the public, private and NGO sector from the Asian Development Bank to the UN, Canton National and the World Economic Forum. I'm so excited to talk to her with such a young age. She has done so many things. So with no further ado, here's Mishti. Um, Here we go. I'm so excited to speak to Mishti today. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast and making time to share your international experience with us. And uh, yeah, you've been to so many countries, you have done so many different things already at your young age, you held so many interesting positions. So maybe you can take us first of all a little bit through these international experiences. Tell us a little bit what you've done, where you've been and how all these things unfolded.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for having me um, on the Scrobyon podcast. Um, I'm very excited to talk a little bit about my personal story and also my professional experiences. Um, so just some background on myself: I'm Singaporean, and home right now um, is Geneva, Switzerland, where I'm pursuing my master's degree. And outside of Geneva, my family actually lives in Bangkok, Thailand, um, and so that's where I usually travel to 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 see them. Um, growing up, I was raised in the Middle East and then in the UK and then South Asia and then Southeast Asia. So home has always been quite a fragmented concept. And I really like the idea of home constituting several different cities and each city providing a different sense of home. So I really like to think of myself as a citizen of different worlds. And I consider myself also a local in in many different cities
1: Thank you so much for that intro on your background. And so you were basically raised in Singapore. That's where you completed your high school set, right?
0: Um, I did 7th to 12th grade in Singapore, but before that I was moving around a lot. And so I spent the first about six or seven years of my life um, in the UAE. Then I moved to the UK and then Bombay, India and then Muscat, Oman and then back to Dubai and then Singapore where I did ages 13 to 18 basically. Um, And then I moved to Bangkok when I graduated from high school and soon after that, I started my undergraduate studies in Washington, D.C.
1: And then after, yeah. (laughs) Wow, so many questions come up with you just talking about that. So how did that, for example, work with language skills? That's one of the first questions that come to my mind. Do you speak all these languages now or did you um, go usually to international schools and mainly spoke English? Yeah. So um, I've studied in three different curriculums in the
0: British system in the Indian system and also in the American. I spent the, a large part of my academic career growing up in the American international school system, starting in fourth grade, um, always studied in an English medium school. Um, and growing up, I actually took French as my second foreign language When I lived in the Middle East, it was mandatory for me to take Arabic, but I was really young at the time. And so I'll have to be completely honest. I didn't retain any of uh, my lessons. Um, I did take Mandarin Chinese for a year in my last year of high school because I had completed basically all the levels of French that one could complete to be fluent. um, And that was amazing. And so I do speak a bit of Mandarin as well. um, But I would say that French
1: is the language I know
0: best after English.
1: Okay, great. So you were already exposed to so many different countries, cultures, while growing up. Um, how, how did you decide to go and pursue your studies in the U.S.? How did that become your choice for your undergrad studies?
0: Yeah, um, so I guess there's a little bit of a backstory for me. I was growing up alongside the children of equally diplomatic parents. And so I a lot of my friends were the children of diplomats um, and Because of them, I kind of learned about international affairs growing up and my family's in the private sector. So um, for me, this was kind of my early exposure Um, Mm -hmm. around the age of, I would say, 11 or 12. I knew that I wanted to pursue diplomacy and become an international civil servant and operate in the general sphere of international affairs. And so when I came around to high school and I was thinking about the university they wanted to go to, I was in the America. I was at the American school in Singapore. And so the U.S. was an obvious destination for my undergraduate degree. Um, And I knew that later on, I would want to pursue my master's degree actually here in Geneva. This was my first choice grad school. Um, Fun fact. (laughs) But um, with my undergraduate studies, when I was looking at universities that had very specific international affairs programs, Washington, D.C. obviously stood out. It's an international city, draws a good number of people both interested in domestic American policy, but also in foreign policy. And so um, I actually chose to live in D.C., because of George Washington University and because of the program and because of how specialized the Elliott School of International Affairs is. Um, so I would say that I, I really went with the academic program more so than um, anything else
1: and DC offered the perfect playground for my ambitions. So you said that you were 12 years old when you decided um, what kind of direction you wanted to go into, is that right? Yeah. So how has everything from that age onwards, did you kind of map out the different steps and what you wanted to do and how you did it? Was there an action plan you, the 12 year old you developed on how to undertake these different steps? Um, so basically, so growing up I had several different interests, but I had never
0: really lived anywhere long enough to kind of hash them out. If that makes sense. Yes. Um, so I had, I was starting to learn more about diplomacy. It was around the time that I was moving to Singapore. Um, I realized that something that had stayed that had stayed constant in all of my different career interests or I guess like life interests um, was this innate fascination with international affairs. And so I wouldn't say that I mapped out a strict action plan. I will say that being in Singapore and being somewhere stable for about six years really afforded me the chance to explore my different passions. And so I did focus my classes, my extracurricular interests in this space of international affairs. And for me, that was a privilege because I was finally able to invest myself in the things that I actually really cared about. And so even with my classes in high school, I was in the advanced placement curriculum, which is the, um, it's the American equivalent of college classes at high school level. Um, so you actually get college credit for finishing these courses. And actually a lot of my APs, if not all, but one, um, which was physics, <laughs> an exception to the rule, mm-hmm. um, We're all focused in the space of international affairs. So I took world history, I took U.S. government, I took comparative politics, I took micro-macroeconomics, I even took calculus and statistics because that plays a heavy role when you're studying international trade or economics. Um, and so I will say that, in a way, me just pursuing what I really was interested in care, interested in and cared about was my way of having um i guess taking a sense of action um and then when I went to undergraduate studies in d c it was kind of even more clear to me that this is exactly what I wanted to do, and so that's also why um, I was studying and working at the same time, basically all but one semester of undergraduate studies. Um,
1: but yeah. Yeah, and you, so you focused your studies on um, international affairs and economics, right? So you were also looking at this crossover in most of your studies, these two different elements? Yes, and that's
0: kind of the excellent part about um, my program at the Elliott School at George Washington University is that it's an interdisciplinary program. And so I went in as a Bachelor of Arts International Affairs student. I decided to double major about a month or two into my um, first semester of undergrad And at the time, they actually rolled out a new minor, the sustainability minor. And the best part about this minor is that it it cuts across five or six different departments of the university. And so I was actually able to double major and minor and still have some courses overlap, but still take things in in different fields of study. Um, And so for me, it was great because I I had these different interests. I was able to take courses of different types in that some of them are more qualitative policy-oriented courses. Some of them were really quantitative And again, I mean, not to make this a sales pitch for GW, but I absolutely love that a lot of my professors were practitioners. And so for me, I really have an applicable training in international affairs. It was never just theory and textbooks.
1: Mm. I think it's so interesting that you say that because you know that in Europe and especially in Germany, a lot of courses still only work. You can only do the masters, the MA and the BA you undertook. And it's not very interdisciplinary and it's not very, there's not a lot of crossover. And I think it's also so important to have these different viewpoints and different aspects, especially when going into a career like this. So it's very interesting that you had this chance and and could share a bit about your experience in the US, which I think can be very different, for example, for many German students. Um, so you um, also undertook a lot of extracurricular activities. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about this. Um, what did you do at w- at which stage, and how this also helped you to to develop your career further, to get into the first real positions you held during university? Um, yeah, and what you would recommend to someone that also wants to go in the same area? Sure. Um, so in high school, like I
0: said, I was when when I figured out that you know I wanted to work in the space of international affairs, I was really looking at things that I could do locally in Singapore that would still allow me to engage. Obviously as a preteen teenager, um, I knew that I wouldn't necessarily be considered for an internship or for, you know, a proper job, Mm. but I did know that volunteer work was always an option. And Mm. so pretty early on, there was a six month um, reading project that was being conducted by the Singapore Indian development association. SINDA was called project read and basically project read, pairs young or even older volunteers with, um, local Singaporean youth who need help with reading. And these are quite, these are quite, um, young students who just have trouble reading or maybe at home, you know, their parents are busy and they really need someone to kind of, um, nurture and mentor them. And so I did this six month program. And for me, that was a really great way of kind of contributing locally, especially in my community. Um, and then because I also had this Innate fascination with the UN and international organizations. I found out that, that the UN Women in Singapore actually had a national committee, and so um, I remember my mother laughing at me when I did this. But I, I remember phone calling them mm-hmm. and asking them if there was a general email. And I think I was like 14 at the time. And I was like, "Are you looking for volunteers? How can I engage?" And it was a super eager message. Um, then I emailed them and I was pretty persistent. Like I didn't get a response immediately. And so I was kind of like, okay, I really like want to meet you and really want to help out. And so I actually became a summer volunteer for young women and I was pretty young. It was a very small office at the time. Um, and I came in for three summers during high school. That was kind of my summer activity. And I remember really looking forward to it as well because the national committee of young women in Singapore is phenomenal. They're financially sustainable. They have an amazing network of really high powered women and men um, who constantly support and even donate to them. They have amazing annual events, um, and so for me, it was really great to work in this team and these women that I that I worked with. You know, they're at the time they're the age that I'm now. I'm 23, and they were maybe 24, 25, maybe a bit older. For me, they were kind of my early, I guess, influencers, Mm -hmm. Um, seeing them and seeing their work ethic and being allowed to do these different tasks really helped me feel empowered in my interests. Um, And I'm not going to lie, my first task was not glamorous. Remember, even they felt bad for assigning it to me, but someone needed to manually edit the brochures that they had. And so I literally went through brochure by brochure, pamphlet by pamphlet and edited blacked out like a part of the text that was no longer relevant Mm -hmm. um and this was my first task and then soon after of course more exciting things came along like drafting invitations um you know making calls to potential donors and supporters for an upcoming gala so I really was able to do so many different things and then in high school of course um I happened to walk into the classroom of Model United Nations and I would never heard about it um I had Never actually learned about the UN in an academic setting, which is really interesting considering all the places mm-hmm. I had lived in and been educated in. So joined MUN, um, pursued MUN for basically four years of high school. I also did Harvard Model Congress, which is run by Harvard University. It's uh, an annual conference similar to MUN, but mm-hmm. it has US congressional committees and Senate committees and the White House, for instance. It's like one of the simulations. Uh, I did that for all through high school. I also did some service activities. Um, one with a human rights club called peace initiative. That was really interesting, very historic, um, high school chapter. Um, and I also, and this is actually how I got engaged with caring for Cambodia is I visited Cambodia, my sophomore year of high school. And when I came back, I wanted to do something like I, I really wanted to focus in and contribute in some way locally to the country. And so I joined caring for Cambodia, which also had a high school chapter. The founders actually, um, was an American expat who lived in Singapore and her, her kids went to my high school. And so um, CFC really organically grew because of the expat community in Singapore and because of the network of my high school as well. Um, So that's actually how I began. And so for me, it was really about volunteerism and that really empowered me to kind of go a step further. And so when I got to university, I knew that after my first semester settling in into undergrad, I wanted to intern and I wanted to work in DC. Because for me, GW's beauty lies in the fact that you can really go beyond the classroom walls physically. Considering where the campus is located, um, right near the White House, the World Bank, the IMF, other think tanks in D.C. And so my first internship was actually at the first women's economic policy think tank called Institute for Women's Policy Research. Really um, amazing organization run by absolute power women, founders quite well known in the field of development economics. Um, Everyone there was just it reminded me a lot of my UN Women days, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that 's kind of how I started, it. and then from there, I was just always on the lookout for different opportunities and you know life happens, and things come your way and so for me, it was really also important to challenge my mind and dip myself in different sectors and different organizations and um, that 's kind of how it happened so I, I I think if I have a piece of advice for someone who's younger who's looking to contribute um, really look around you in your community because even if a big organization doesn't have an official presence or a big presence in the country that you're living in or the city that you're living in, you can always find organizations or networks or even individuals who are doing the work that you want to do maybe years from now. So, you know, for me, there was no, there was no official UN presence in Singapore, but Hey, there was a national committee that was really organically driven that was working on issues of gender equality and trafficking. And that's what I was interested in at the time. And so I was able to kind of, you know, I was proactive about it, but I was also able to just have this benefit of being able to reach out to these people and, um, become one of their long, long long-term supporters.
1: Yeah, no, I think that is so interesting. And it's also the story of that you're never too small, right? That you can always pick up the phone and uh, say, look, I'm here and I'm keen to do something. I want to get involved. And then opportunities do come up. So, um, yeah, that's really interesting. And I uh, I looked through your profile and you've done so many different um, internships, placements. You've worked with the International Monetary Fund, with many different small organizations, but also with the World Bank, um, also with the um, Institute for International Affairs and different countries the council on foreign relations really so many interesting different positions um is there one for you that was the most outstanding or where you say that was actually maybe um what you did with the un as well when we met was that one where you said that's where I kind of wanted to get to what it all built up to like um a goal to you were reaching for
0: i would say and maybe this is a cop-out answer i would say that i haven't It's kind of a work in progress. It's an art piece in progress. And so each of the different organizations that I worked with, they taught me different things. Mm. And in some some of the experiences, I was kind of building on existing skill sets. In others, I met new people, new mentors, new friends even. Um, I would say that my experience in New York was absolutely fantastic, primarily because, you know, representing these two organizations, um, and, and especially to youth and for youth, Um, It was such an honor to work and uh, collaborate with the envoy's office. And that's actually a relationship that for me also stretches past professional boundaries. Um, I became such good friends with my colleagues. Um, Mm -hmm. I even assisted the envoy on his UN mission to Singapore in the summer of 2016. And that was absolutely fantastic for me being Singaporean. It was his first trip there. So I actually flew into Singapore from Manila and helped out for a week, got to attend bilateral meetings. And that's where I found out about World Summit Award. Um, because that was the global summit that was happening. And a few months after that, World Summit Award um, requested me to be their youth ambassador. Um, and then, of course, the envoy and the special advisor came to Geneva last November for the Forum on Human Rights, law, Rule of Law and Democracy at the UN headquarters here. And so I assisted the office there with communications. And I was live tweeting and doing social media for them here. And so it's really a relationship that has gone past mm. just my four months in, um, in New York and for me, I'm super lucky that each experience has really given me all these new ideas about what I really care about, what I'm really interested in, and also meeting the people because this space of international affairs is just so large. But you start to realize the world is actually um, – you know, degrees of separation really do not exist. Um, and you start to meet people who kind of influence how you think about policy and mm. how you think about what, how, you, how you shape policy. Mm. Um, so it's, it's much like the book Invisible Cities by Calvino mm. – Um, you know, each city has a different character, has a different identity. And I think each experience is the same way. Um, So I, I really feel quite lucky and quite blessed. And I think that's another piece of advice I have is, you know, don't compartmentalize yourself. If you're interested in, if you're interested in gender equality, go for it. But necessarily think that you just want to work for an NGO or you just want to work for an IO or just for a private sector entity, because you would be surprised the, the overlap that you find and the people that you meet
1: who, you know, might've actually, you know, had different, several lives before that certain experience. Yeah. And I think this is also very empowering because I find a lot of students, um, when they're about to graduate and enter the real world you know they're so overwhelmed with the decisions they have to take and maybe think as well that this one decision could um yeah kind of lead to not to another thing and and i think your story shows that once you something starts to to roll once the ball gets rolling so many great things can happen if you um really take care of the relationships as well and engage with the people so um, you already talked about how the World Summit Award then how that kind of came out of your position you had before with the UN but going back to that because I, I can imagine a lot of young people listening um, also the UN is of course always a big dream you know uh, you know how, how that is I think also it was for us so um, you did a lot of things would you say that all these things you did they kind of it led up to it or was there did you apply for the position did you already have a connection how did you get in what what was there that, that brought you also to the, the specific um, position with the um, UN envoy uh, on youth? Yeah. Um,
0: so completely transparent here, every position that I have um, done, I have applied for. Mm. Um, however, I think Which is that, a good
1: thing to hear, I think, for a lot of exactly. people.
0: Yeah, I, I really encourage people to send emails to the general email. You would be surprised at the responses you might get from the info at dot, mm. dot, dot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have done this persistently. And even, even you know, even. A year and a half ago, I was on the phone, I was calling up different organizations to find out about opportunities in Asia. So, um, be completely shameless in that. And on the second, the second side of the coin, yes, each experience has led to the next. So, yes, I have applied for each one. But after kind of you know completing one, I, I think about where I really see myself growing and how I want to grow and. So I've seen opportunities that really fit. And, you know, sometimes things just come your way. You just see something on LinkedIn on your feed or, you know, someone emails you something or you're on a listserv and you see an opportunity, you randomly apply. Um, and then you find out, oh, the person who's hiring is someone, you know, that I used to work with or, you know, someone that a friend knows. But, you know, for, for all my experiences, I really just applied from scratch. So do not deter yourself by thinking that someone will not respond or, you know, just because the UN, for instance, gets so many applications does not mean that they're not going to read yours. Um, Mm. you should just always try because worst Mm. case you don't get in, but you know, you can always reapply. And that's kind of the the lesson here. And maybe it sounds cliche, but no, it's worked for me every time. Um, and you know, sometimes you don't get a positive answer, but that's a very temporally sensitive thing. So maybe not a positive answer today, but you know, maybe two years from now you've worked with some other organizations or you've done had other experiences and maybe it will be a yes.
1: Yeah. And I like this uh, being a bit bold and also calling people and speaking to people and making your voice heard maybe before you send an application. I think that is so important and um, great piece of advice. Um, so a lot of things you did were also rather short-term. So you had different placements, internships. How did you manage to integrate always in like a two, three-month span of time? It's not very long. How could you make an impact? How could you integrate in the team? Do you have any advice um, or any tips on how you did that in the different positions you held?
0: Yeah, um, I think I've also been really lucky with having mentors and also um, supervisors who have given me really specific projects so even though some of my experiences were particularly short kind of came in with a list of objectives or things projects that needed to be done um, so I think it depending on depending on the, of how your supervisor is or the organizational setup you can always in the introductory meeting always kind of voice your specific interests. and so for me I was really interested in policy kind of work I wanted to learn more about the youth programming space and so I assisted the youth Envoy's office with you know, one or two key projects that I, that I basically worked on from the beginning to the end. And of course I had other tasks on top of that, but these two kind of occupied um, a good part of my time. So I think, again, be bold and be honest and express what you would like to get out of an experience as well, because for the most part, people really do want to guide you and you know, they they want to make experience valuable for you and also for them. So um, don't be afraid to voice um, your passions and also ask a lot of questions because you might actually ask a question that sparks, you know, XYZ organization's interest in a certain project, and maybe you'd be tasked with actually, you know, involving yourself in this project and leading it.
1: Yeah, and I, I have also in, in different uh, situations I was in, always seen this intergenerational dimension that a young person that maybe has a complete different view on things also comes in and has a viewpoint that might be really interesting as well for, um, for the older part, and then you come together and something new and great is created out of that, right? So. Never think that you're too small to to make change or to to have an idea. Um, But how do you keep in touch with other people? So I assume you, for example, connect on LinkedIn, but especially with great senior people you have been working with, you have been in touch with, how do you keep in touch? Do you follow up from time to time? Do you um, continue the conversation somehow? What is your advice for that kind of level of networking also really to stay involved and in touch with the people?
0: Yeah. I mean, to be completely honest, you know, all of us have absolutely crazy lives. We're busy Mm. all the time. We have our own schedules, our own routines. And so I will say that, you know, obviously don't have time to speak with everyone every Mm. single day, Mm. but every few months, you know, if I'm in a certain city that I think, you know, I might run into someone, I'll always reach out. Um, I have certain Mm. mentors like my high school counselor, um, like my college advisor, basically from, from, uh, my time in Singapore who I send her an email update every few months. Um, there's other mentors that I've had that, you know, sometimes send them a quick WhatsApp, like, Hey, how are you? Um, Funny enough in a few hours, I'm actually going to get coffee with uh, my former supervisor from UN AIDS. So that's really exciting. And he's in the same city and I haven't seen him in in a few months. So um, I think sometimes just really informal and, you know, sometimes Mm -hmm. I actually want to, I want to ask them something or I want to see if they're maybe visiting Geneva or, you know, visiting Bangkok, one of the cities I'm in. Um, And so I just send a quick email and, again everyone's really busy so you don't always get an immediate response um and that's okay but i think it it's on a it's at a greater level than networking it's really connecting with people that you know you really shaped part of your experiences and yeah. part of um my i guess my interests as well and they made me feel even more empowered and pursuing what i really care about um mm-hmm. and for me that's you know keeping in touch with them is the least that i can do
1: yeah and um, we have already talked uh, about quite a few pieces of advice and what you would recommend um, younger people. What is there something that you would tell the your 20-year-old or maybe 15-year-old you, some something, some thoughts, some advice that you would have given or maybe also something that you would um, look, do differently looking back on your experiences?
0: I wouldn't do anything differently in the sense that I think, as I mentioned before, Life really just does happen, and there's Mm -hmm. meaningful coincidences. Um, Something that that I realized at age 18, when I completed high school, I had quite a a busy and competitive and tough high school experience. um, Is that you should just never let your work stress you. And the moment that work starts stressing you out, work starts stressing you out is when. You need to kind of rethink and rehash um, what is making you content. And so I realized this when I graduated high school. Um, I absolutely loved immersing myself in my schoolwork and my extracurriculars. But there was a point in my last year of high school where I was just so busy and I was just constantly tired and constantly kind of like shuffling to the next thing. Um, Exam to exam, activity to activity, leadership engagement to leadership engagement. And so when I started university, I really started with kind of a clean slate and clean outlook on this. Mm -hmm. Um, And so since then, I like I really have never been stressed by schoolwork. Um, And obviously, it's okay to have a bit of anxiety or stress with life. Um, Things just come up. Um, But I think that you really need to kind of have a very balanced approach and thinking about what is making you content when you're waking up at seven or eight or nine a.m. every morning. What is making you feel happy about the you know, next 12 hours? Not every day is going to be super energetic, but the days that are particularly, um, I guess, exhilarating, how do you see that day panning out? Mm. And if the day is stressing you out and tiring you out and you're going to bed thinking, oh, like I just want to sleep some more, I just I can't do this again, then you need to rethink what you're engaged in and how you're contributing. Because I think contributing to your own passions is... And maybe this sounds very fluffy. Contributing to your own passions and to your own sense of empowerment is kind of the first step to contributing to the people and the organizations and the ideas around you. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's one thing to say, you know, I want to save the world. I want to do all these great things. I want to contribute to global service, but you have to serve yourself first as well. You need to really think about how can you be as energized and healthy and positive as possible and then, see how
1: that impacts the people around you mm. yeah, you have done so many interesting things. I could talk to you forever. I just want to ask a few more pressing questions before we finish off so um, you you mentioned, which I thought was very interesting, how actually you were happy when you stayed uh, in Singapore for a little longer time when you finished high school because you had the chance to really um, immerse into your environment and and do what you enjoyed. I think a lot of young people. yeah so a lot of young people that are um listening to your story and thinking how uh, how interesting it must have been to be in all these different um yeah countries cultures there's obviously always two sides of the coin as well and i don't know you have seen so many different countries and done so many different th- things but maybe if there's a, um yeah an essence of a few things you have learned from living and working abroad or also from the different institutions you have seen maybe some critical thoughts on things that you didn't think you would experience in that way before Is there any take from um one your international experience with the different countries and cultures and two also with the um, different institutions you worked for
0: yeah um I think for me travel has always been embedded with my work um Mm -hmm. and my education and so I've never really thought about going to going picking a certain opportunity just for the the geographic location Mm -hmm. so in many ways I'm really just as flexible as possible on that. I've kind of gotten where the opportunity is. And also, um, as a child, I mean, it was really not under my control. My parents were moving. And so I moved with them. Um, in terms of things that have surprised me, um, I, think, I think you can only really have good surprises in the sense that every organization or institutional environment that I kind of shifted in between or shifted to um, provide me with a different perspective on a certain topic Mm -hmm. or dimension of international affairs. Um, I haven't really had any nasty shocks, um, but I also just think that part of me being a pragmatic idealist is that I really try to be as open-minded as possible. Obviously sometimes you're working with people who are a bit difficult or Mm -hmm. you're tasked on a certain project that, you know, maybe is not the most exciting thing. There might Mm -hmm. be some dry aspects of it, but for the most part I've been, um, pleasantly surprised at how you actually can seamlessly float between sectors. And for me, it also made me realize that I really like working in this partnership space. Um, I love learning about the different languages of sectors. You know, how do you communicate, um, something from this international organizations world to someone at a consulting firm like Deloitte? Mm. Um, how do you talk about innovation that goes past just a generic social innovation or generic, let's be creative and innovative kind of, um, Kind of conversation and so for me if there's anything surprising I guess it's the fact that you actually can float between sectors and even if in academia they teach you that the private and public sectors operate in different spheres well different in a certain sense but you know there's enough people who uh work in between and and being an intermediary for me is um kind of a really uh compelling life mm-hmm. ambition um so that's that's something that I would say um don't that's restrict amazing. yourself
1: yeah, that's a really interesting observation, because I think a lot of people, like I already mentioned earlier, still struggle with that. So so what's next for you, Misty? What are you on now? What is the next goal? What are you working on? Yeah, um, so I,
0: as I was mentioning before as well, um, I just completed my first uh, artistic endeavor, my big photography exhibition, um, that was hosted by the UN Economic Commission for Europe. So in the coming months, I would like to take the exhibition more public, um it was just up at the UN for about a month month or so um recently in October and November so in the spring I would like to take it to a more public space in Geneva potentially a gallery or an exhibition hall or maybe an outdoor space um I'm also going to continue my work with the World Economic Forum um not sure where I'll be after I finish my master's I turn in my thesis in June um and yeah and then we'll see where I end up um again,
1: geographically flexible. So um, we, will see, we will see what happens. Exciting. And maybe one um, last thought as well. On if you look at challenges ahead also for yourself or for young people that are working in the sector you're working in, I really love that you said you actually see this um, great opportunity and overlap with, between different industries and between public and private. Um, but have you already have you figured out maybe what the key challenges are what what our employees also are looking in uh, for uh, to find in young people like you and and others um i wouldn't say that i figured it out because i think the day i figure it out that'll
0: be a very priceless priceless <laughs> commodity um i will say that's something that i have that i that i kind of encourage myself to do and also have kind of noticed is at the end of the day, whether you're talking to someone at a bank or a consulting firm or an international organization or in government, we are just human beings who like mm. to have conversations. And so I think if there's anything that you can do is um, go and prepare for something. Um, obviously, know what you want and what you like and what your questions are and what your ideas are. But also, you would be surprised. Sometimes you just end up talking about the most random things mm. or you start learning about someone on a more personal level. And so I think... It's really important that you you are a conversation starter, um, you're a conversation continuer. I think that's kind of where it is. And so haven't figured it out quite yet. Um, But I I, I do feel like if if you can master the art of speaking in these different languages, then you know, you're relating on people on a level that goes beyond an organizational mandate Mm -hmm. or a mission statement.
1: Yeah, and uh, you are actually, I mean, you mentioned now your art exhibition, which I saw a few pictures of and it looked super exciting. And I know that caring for Cambodia is a project you've been involved with for many, many years. And uh, I'm sure there are different things close to your heart as well. Um, We will put in the podcast uh, a link or description to these different projects you're doing, whatever you would like to share with us. Maybe is there something, um, a certain direction you want to point people in as well to find more out, for example, about um, the art you're doing or also about caring for Cambodia? Is there any um, links or any information you want to give to people that are interested to find out more?
0: Yes, um, I would love to um, share the links to Care for Cambodia and World Summit Awards official websites. Mm -hmm. Um, I am going to be working on, hopefully, if I can find the time, um, on a digital portfolio for my photography. So I would love for people to see this. And the topic that uh, my latest exhibition and my first exhibition is on the idea of home in Geneva. It's called Geneva, the habitats within and Mm -hmm. finding a sense of home for those of us who are quite nomadic. And so I photographed 16 different individuals from 16 different walks of life, different ethnicities, different nationalities on their passport in the place in Geneva that they considered their habitat, which provided them a sense of spiritual comfort and home um, and belonging. And so I would love to share all of these links and caring for Cambodia is always looking for committed young supporters. Um, so whether you'd like to donate, whether you'd like to volunteer, um, have a look at our website. And of course, I'm happy to also share my email if anyone has any questions, like send me a message and i um, happy to help young people further connect.
1: Thank you so much, Mishy. Thank you so much for joining us today, for sharing all your insights. And I think we could talk forever uh, with you. But um, I think with this information as well, people can find some um, more follow ups. And yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed these insights and are ready to grow beyond. If you have any questions or feedback, please head to www.growbeyond.com, beyond spelled with U because it's all about you, or email rona at growbeyond.com. You can also find us on Facebook and LinkedIn. All infos is also in the description of this podcast. We are looking forward to hearing from you. Let's grow. I'm Rona. Thank you for listening.